You are listening to episode 14 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher, welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. Inner serenity, tranquility, peace of mind. These are universal desires of humans, and Stoicism promises these as a byproduct of the Stoic path. In fact, the very purpose of the inner citadel in Stoicism is to create an unconquerable mind, a psychological fortress from which we can live unaffected by things, people, and events that might otherwise disturb our serenity. The inner citadel is a metaphor for human psychological strength and inner fortitude. It is a fortress capable of withstanding the tempestuous winds and turbulent waves of fortune. Nevertheless, if our practice of Stoicism stops there, at those impenetrable walls of our inner citadel, it has stopped short of virtue and true human well-being, otherwise known as eudaimonia. The goal of Stoic practice is not inner serenity. The goal is well-being. And that goal can only be achieved through the development of our moral excellence, our virtue. And virtue cannot be developed in isolation from humanity and the cosmos as a whole. The inner disciplines of assent and desire prepare us for action in the world, which is where our moral excellence is developed, honed, and tested. However, we must make the choice to engage the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. We must choose to embark upon that sea of troubles, that is human existence. For it is those externals that lie beyond the walls of our inner citadel that will help us develop, test, and hone our moral character, our virtue. Last week I read a passage from Haydo's masterpiece, The Inner Citadel, that serves to illustrate the risks facing us as we make the transition from those inner disciplines of assent and desire to the outer discipline of action. Pierre Haydo wrote, This fine serenity risks being disturbed by the discipline of active impulse and action, since in this case it is a matter of acting, not accepting. We now must engage our responsibility, not just consent, and we must enter into relations with beings, our fellow creatures, who provoke our passions precisely because they are our fellow creatures, being whom we must love, although they are often hateful. End quote. We are like the boxer or wrestler who has been training in the safety and security of their own gym against worthy training partners who pushed us to the edge but intentionally withheld that finishing punch, kick, or hold that could ultimately and completely defeat us. Now we must step out of our training gym and into the ring of real life where our opponent will neither pull his punches nor release his painful hold on our joints. The contest is suddenly real, and the stakes are high. This is the arena of life. This is the place where we must learn to practice the discipline of action. So how are we to act in the world as a Stoic? Well, as we learned in episode 13, 
the Stoics begin their theory of human action with a concept that comes from the study of nature, the topic of physics. That's called oikiosis. As I stated in that episode, oikiosis is a complex concept and a word that is not easily translated into English. Of the many approximations, I happen to prefer the word affinity. Some will prefer others. But all creatures have a natural affinity for themselves. As John Sellers from the University of Oxford points out, the most fundamental action appropriate for all animals and human beings is self-preservation. While this may be conceived as natural egoism, it is not selfish egoism. When we act in accordance with nature, we are acting rationally for the good of the whole. As Marcus notes in his meditations, quote, for a rational creature to act according to nature and to act according to reason is one and the same. Meditations 7.11. Because our nature as a human is instinctively social, the doctrine of oikiosis necessarily involves the expansion of our circle of affinity to include others. Nature creates human beings as social animals with innate moral predispositions that allow us to live in groups. To act otherwise, to live like an animal, is against human nature and therefore irrational. We intuitively understand these basic moral precepts, and we expect other human beings to live according to them. When humans do act in irrational and barbaric ways, we frequently express our shock at their behavior with a simple yet poignant judgment of them. We call them animals. Stoic ethics begins with an understanding of natural impulses, animal instincts. Then, as Pierre Hedon notes, quote, with the appearance of reason in human beings, natural instincts become reflective choices, end quote. Thus, what is an appropriate action for an animal is subject to reflective consideration and choice for human beings. And the only good for a human is moral good. Pierre Hedo offers a very useful test to determine whether something is a moral good. First, the action must be within the realm of those things that are up to us as humans. Those things include our thoughts, desires, and active impulses, our will. Once again, we see that externals, those things beyond our control that are not up to us, are neither morally good nor morally bad. They are indifference with respect to our moral excellence, our virtue. The second part of that test is that those thoughts, desires, and impulses must conform to the law of reason. As Epictetus points out, our rational faculty obligates us as humans to act rationally rather than as animals. Quote, but God has brought the human race into the world to be a spectator of himself and of his works, and not merely to observe them, but also to interpret them. It is thus shameful for a human being to begin and end where the irrational animals do. Rather, he should start where they do and end where nature ended with regard to ourselves. Now, it ended with contemplation and understanding and a way of life in harmony with nature. Discourses 1.6, 19-21. Unfortunately, many people don't bother to discipline their desires. As a consequence, they are driven by those desires and impulses, and they end up acting an awful lot like animals. Again, Epictetus, quote, Since these two elements have been mixed together in us from our conception, the body, which we have in common with the animals, and reason and intelligence, which we share with the gods, 
some of us incline toward the kinship that is wretched and mortal, and only a few of us toward that which is divine and blessed. Discourses 1.3.3 According to the Stoics, our rational and social nature requires us to act in a manner that preserves the existence of the human community. Oikiosis is the process by which that natural self-interest of the infant slowly expands as it matures and encompasses, eventually, the well-being of others in an ever-increasing circle of affinity and ultimately includes all of humanity. As Marcus reminds himself, we must seek to have, quote, imperturbability in the face of what comes to pass from a source outside yourself and justice in actions that proceed from a cause within yourself. That is to say, the impulses and actions which find their end in the very exercise of social duty because, for you, that is in accordance with nature. Meditations 9.31 Therefore, as human beings, our natural human impulse should conform to universal reason and lead us toward moral excellence. Virtue. Because virtue, again, is the only good. Once again, I will suggest that excellence is a better translation of the Greek word erite than virtue is. Thus, the Stoic doctrine that virtue is the only good can be rephrased as an excellent character is the only moral good. So what is an excellent moral character? One that conforms to the virtues. And in Stoicism, there are four cardinal virtues or excellent characteristics. And each, in a sense, is a form of knowledge. So we have wisdom, which is the knowledge of what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. Temperance, which is the knowledge of things to be chosen and things to be avoided. Justice, which is the knowledge of what is due to each person. And courage, the knowledge of what is truly terrible and not terrible. Now, don't be fooled by the fact that we are considering the virtues as knowledge. That does not imply a pure intellectualist position. In Stoicism, knowledge entails a system of integrated ascents and necessarily implies habituation. Thus, knowledge is more than intellectual understanding. It is a character trait. It is a virtue. From those brief definitions of virtue, we can ask ourselves direct questions each time we engage with people and events in the world. With regard to wisdom, we can ask, is this something I should do or something I should not do? With regard to temperance, we can ask, is this a preferred indifferent that I can make use of in moderation? Or is this a dispreferred indifferent that I should avoid? With reference to justice, we can ask, what is due to this person in this particular situation? What are they entitled to as a human being? And what are they responsible for? With regard to courage, we can ask, are these circumstances or this person really terrible? Can they harm my moral self or just harm my physical body? The possible iterations of those questions above are numerous, and the discipline of action involves asking them of ourselves continually. Practice of attention, prosake, which we covered earlier, will keep us alert to those moments when we should be asking ourselves those questions about virtue and how we should be acting in the world. The practice of the three Stoic disciplines will always help us and guide us in our actions. For me, 
No other passage from the Stoic texts speaks louder and challenges me more on the topic of the discipline of action than Meditations 2.1. Marcus wrote, quote, Say to yourself at the start of the day, I shall meet with meddling, ungrateful, violent, treacherous, envious, and unsociable people. They are subject to all these defects because they have no knowledge of good and bad. But I, who have observed the nature of the good and seen that it is the right and the bad and seen that it is wrong and of the wrongdoer himself and seen that his nature is akin to my own, not because he is of the same blood and seed, but because he shares as I do in mind and thus in a portion of the divine. I then can neither be harmed by these people nor become angry with one who is akin to me, nor can I hate him, for we have come into being to work together, like feet, hands, eyelids, or two rows of teeth in our upper and lower jaws. To work against one another is therefore contrary to nature, and to be angry with another person and turn away from him is surely to work against him. This passage capsulizes the Stoic discipline of action and differentiates Stoicism from ancient Epicureanism and Cynicism. The inner citadel, created through the discipline of assent and the discipline of desire, prepares us for action in a tumultuous world filled with humans who are often irrational, selfish, and cantankerous. That is the discipline of action. Stoics do not retreat from society to achieve equanimity. The practice of the three disciplines enables us to become excellent human beings and achieve a good flow in life within the frequently tumultuous environment that is human society. Here we begin to put the equanimity that we gain through the discipline of ascent and desire to the test in the arena of human life, where fate does not pull any punches and fortune does not respond to a quick tap-out when we find ourselves pinned in a painful position. Meditation 2.1 continues to serve me well as a reminder that I fall short of the Stoic ideal when it comes to accepting and loving my fellow humans, who are meddling, ungrateful, violent, treacherous, envious, and unsociable. Nevertheless, falling short is not an excuse to stop trying. As practicing Stoics, our goal is to advance toward that ideal. As Marcus and Pierre Hedo point out, learning to love our fellow humans, even when they are hateful, is an essential part of the Stoic path. That ideal defies the all-too-common character of the Stoic as indifferent to the people around him. But how can we learn to love those who are meddling, ungrateful, violent, treacherous, envious, and unsociable? Well, Marcus provides an answer in Meditations 2.1. Even though many of those others who disturb our serenity may not be our immediate family members, fellow citizens, or countrymen, we are still connected to them as members of the whole. Marcus reminds us that even though we are not related by blood, we share a portion of the same divine mind. We are all connected through the same logos or universal reason because our individual rational faculty, our hegemonicon, is a fragment of that logos. As Marcus points out, it is our connection to the divine mind that connects us all and makes us all members of the same family. But how does the Stoic come to love those humans that act in the most unlovable ways? First, by realizing that nothing they do can harm what is most important to us, our moral character. The only thing that can harm us is that which is up to us, 
our thoughts, desires, and aversions, and impulses to act. Second, we must accept our responsibility to expand our circle of interest to include those beyond our immediate family, community, and nation, even those who are meddling, ungrateful, violent, treacherous, envious, and unsociable. According to the Stoics, we are all family. When it comes to human relationships, blood may be thicker than water, but divine mind is far more potent than blood. As practicing Stoics, we must keep the Stoic doctrine of oikiosis at the forefront of our minds as we are practicing the discipline of action. Ultimately, Stoicism is a philosophy of action. It is a lived philosophy. It requires constant attention and practice to the three disciplines to remain on the path of the Prokopton. By now, you probably realize that the three disciplines are interdependent. None can be understood and practiced effectively in isolation. The discipline of assent and the discipline of desire are necessary to create that inner citadel that empowers us to enter the arena of humanity so that we can develop an excellent character, one capable of acting virtuously. The discipline of action places us in the service of humanity. Stoicism does not entail self-sacrificing altruism. Instead, it is a call to live as an excellent human being in accordance with human reason and universal reason. There is no sacrifice in that life. There is only good flow. The lesson we must learn is this. Our good and the good of humanity as a whole are entangled. When we act for the good of humanity, we are acting for our own good. The practice of Stoicism through the Stoic disciplines empowers the Prokopton to remain tranquil and act in an excellent manner in the midst of tumultuous external circumstances. However, the inner citadel of Stoicism is not a retreat, nor is it a defensive position. Our inner citadel provides a base of operation for us to engage in the world as a true cosmopolitan by drawing all of humanity and the cosmos itself into our circle of affinity. Here's a powerful passage from Seneca. Quote, Philosophy is not tricks before an audience, nor is it a thing set up for display. It consists not in words, but in actions. One does not take it up just to have an amusing pastime, a remedy for boredom. It molds and shapes the mind, gives order to life and discipline to action, shows what to do and what not to do. It sits at the helm and steers a course for us who are tossed in waves of uncertainty. Without it, there is no life that is not full of care and anxiety. For countless things happen every hour that need the advice philosophy alone can give. Letters 16.3 If our Stoic practice stops at the walls of our inner citadel, we are falling far short of the intention of Stoicism. The practice of Stoicism develops a strong soul an excellent character, precisely so that we can engage in the world of externals. As Seneca notes, to fashion a man who can genuinely be called a man, a stronger fate is needed. For him, the way will not be flat. He must go up and down. He must be tossed by waves and must guide his vessel on a stormy sea. He must hold his course against fortune. Many things will happen that are hard and rough, but things he can soften and smooth out himself. Fire tests gold. Misery, brave men. On Providence, 5.9. Those of us who follow the Stoic path 
will be challenged by rough road and tossed by stormy seas as we develop our moral character. It is a difficult path, but it is worth the effort because it leads toward true well-being. The excellent character developed along the way is pure gold that has been tested by the fire of fate. Now, gold is beautiful, and it provides a trusted medium of exchange when it is put into use in the marketplace of humanity. The symbolic gold of the excellent moral character is just as beautiful and every bit as valuable within the human marketplace. However, like real gold, the gold of excellent character is useless as long as it remains buried or locked up within the safety of our inner citadel. We fall short of the Stoic ideal when we use the powerful tools of Stoic practice to produce gold exclusively for our own selfish interests. Certainly, We are the natural beneficiaries of our character development, but that is not the end at which we aim. Virtue is not developed in isolation from others, and its aim is not entirely self-serving. We must remember that we live in a cosmos permeated by divine mind, of which we share a portion. Each of us is part of a whole. I will close with this thought from Marcus's Meditations 7.9. Quote, All things are interwoven, and the bond that unites them is sacred, and hardly anything is alien to any other thing, for they have been ranged together and are jointly ordered to form a common universe. For there is one universe, made up of all that is, and one God, who pervades all things, and one substance, and one law, and one reason common to all intelligent creatures, and one truth, if indeed there is one perfection for all creatures who are of the same stock, and partake of the same reason. I hope you've enjoyed these seven episodes covering the Stoic topics of logic, physics, and ethics. These podcasts are far from comprehensive on any of these topics. These podcasts are based upon my Path of the Procopton series that are available on www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you are interested in a training program to build a solid foundation of Stoic theory and practice, I strongly recommend that you check out the Theory and Practice course at the College of Stoic Philosophers. I will provide a link in the show notes. That is a four-month-long course, and it will provide you with a solid grounding in Stoicism and set you on the path of the Stoic Prokopton. It will help you set your Stoic practice on fire. Thank you for listening to the Stoicism on Fire podcast. If you're interested in this ancient practice of Stoicism, you will find plenty of resources at www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you're interested in a social media environment where this form of Stoicism is discussed, please join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on the platform where you listen to this podcast. That tells others this podcast is worth listening to and thereby introduces more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the Stoics. If you have feedback or a great podcast idea for me, send me an email at chris, that's C-H-R-I-S, at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you will continue exploring traditional stoicism, where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of stoicism on fire. Mm-hmm.